Hey, 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 on the way home, fans. Your host with the least here, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. You're listening to the On the Way Home podcast. It is brought to you by the good folks at Blue Door. That's my organization in York Region, which has supported our most vulnerable for over 40 years. And we do it in partnership with our friends at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. Hey, they just put out, if you went to their conference this year, awesome as always, great speakers. And actually, you'll see a couple of speakers today that we're talking with that are always uh, prominent at these conferences. But they just put out um, all the conferences. So you could actually, they, they video them and audio, there's audio to them. So if you want to check out some of that great content, uh, they have sent out an email. You can also go to their website. Hey, and also, if you want to become a Built for Zero community, and trust me, you do. That means you're built for zero. You're looking at zero homelessness. Actually, means more than that. So get the training. Uh, check out their website at caeh.ca. Listen, you know, I like to think we've come a long way um, when we're talking about people experiencing homelessness. But I spent last night, I was at uh, a council meeting in a, a town in York region where uh, the region is proposing to build a men's emergency and transitional housing. It's going to be beautiful, a beautiful unit with health care and uh, all sorts of different supports wrapped around it. Blue Door, of course, hopes to operate it, but that is not set in stone yet. But we went to a planning meeting and man, it was it was fairly sad. Five hours straight of deputations. Probably out of the five hours, there was about half an hour of people uh, pro for this uh, type of housing. Uh, and four and a half hours of people who were dead set against it. Nimbyism at its finest. You know, at the end of the day, it was, hey, you know, we don't mind um, supporting our most vulnerable. We just don't like it here. There's got to be another spot. And, and you know, as sad as it, it is, I mean, that's, that's the reality we're still fighting through uh, until people realize that an inclusive community means everyone in your community has a safe place to call home. Uh, we won't be true communities. But we will keep pushing forward. Uh, we will keep battling. This is what this podcast is really all about. It's about sharing the solutions. It can be easy in this sector um, to, uh, you know, just give up, throw your hands in the air. I have lots of despair, but, you know, with, with all the challenges we face, but there's amazing people around the world across this country and today from our East Coast that are always looking at solutions, not only what we could do to react and support people. But more importantly, what do we do to prevent young people from entering into homelessness in the first place. Uh, and, and one of our guests, he is going to soon get that Velvet Five Timers Club jacket because, he, he, you know, he's always doing, him and his team are just leading super cool and innovative work across the country at all times. So every chance I get, I'm, I said, like, come on the show, tell people about this. This needs to be scaled, duplicated around the world. Uh, today I have Sheldon Pollitt and Sherry Payne from uh, Choices for Youth. If you haven't heard about Choices for Youth, where have you been looking? Wow, man, they're all they're all over the place. They've been doing great work for years. In fact, our uh, social enterprise construct wouldn't be around if it wasn't for choices for you doing that work and leading that work probably about 12 years ago or more. Uh, and they continue to do great work there. So without further ado, Sheldon and Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Very happy to be here. Same. Thank you. Sherry, you're going to have to wait a little longer for your five timers. Uh, role, but I'm sure I'm sure you will get there. Uh, listen, mm -hmm. we ask uh, all our guests, and we're going to start with you, Sherry, as a, a first timer on this. Uh, it's a little there's a lot of similarities, a little different. It's a little personal to everyone, and that is, what does home mean to you? Home. What does home mean to me? Home means being comfortable and being able to have a bath. 
That is awesome. I, that's what, you know what? That's probably one of my the, the, the most succinct and best answers we've ever had, Sherry. So thank you for that. Sheldon, what about you? I, I think from my perspective, uh, you know, same ditto uh, as Sherry. But, I mean, what does it take to, to have a home? You want safety. You want security. You want friends. You want family. Uh, you want an income, you want, you know, an education that allows you to have the, you know, the, the employment you, you want, deserve. So it's all the tools that any of us, quite frankly, you know, you've heard me say this before, Michael, like, you know, uh, nothing special about me. Would I be here today if I didn't have all of those things in my life uh, to create a home, to feel stable and secure? Our young people all need and deserve all the same things. They're just in a very different place. Our job is to put tools and opportunities in front of them. Well said, as always, Mr. Pollitt. Now, as a starting point for this podcast, maybe uh, the two of you could briefly just introduce yourself and talk a little bit about Choices for Youth. Like I said, for those, most people would know, but for the few that might be listening for the first time or new into the sector, let's hear about who you are and uh, where you're coming from. Okay, I'm going to turn it over to perhaps Sherry to start off this one. Well, so I'm currently um, in our education, employment, and social enterprise department as um, the employment systems navigator for the Ingham Sport pilot, for the employment stability pilot, very wordy. Basically what that means is I'm working with folks who are on Ingham Sport um, to test new incentives being offered to them and basically support them with the transition from income sport to going to work. Whatever that looks like for them, you know, whatever comes up, it's very individualized what they need. Um, prior to this role, I was doing employment support with our training program. So, you know, training and social enterprise is very close to my heart. I love what Choices is doing with social enterprise. I think like our social enterprise game is super strong. So. I love that I'm still in a role where I get to interact with all the social enterprises now because I'm working with all the folks who come in who are on English sport and end up in different enterprises. So that's me currently. And yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I love this work. So I'm really happy to be at Choices for you. Thank you, Sherry. Uh, from my perspective, I would add to that in, in, in Sherry and team, exceptional work. I have to say that I would say it uh, any time, any place. Choice Youth has been around for 30-ish years now, 32, I do believe. One of the things we always talk about as a reminder and grounding of our history uh, is we were born out of a very traumatic experience for our entire province, and that is the Mount Cashel orphanage scandal uh, involving the Irish Christian Brothers back in the day. Uh, so our unique history is that we were purposely invented, you know, uh, you know, 30 years ago as a direct response, community government coming together and recognizing that clearly those young people didn't disappear with that orphanage. They still need help and support, but clearly we need to do things differently. You fast forward 30 years and clearly we're meeting the needs of young people in very different ways. A lot has changed, a lot has evolved, uh, but fundamentally we're still doing the same thing. You know, how to meet the housing and support needs of a growing number, which is scary, of youth and now young families, uh, Michael, you mentioned off the top is, you know, is, is all about prevention, certainly on homelessness, but most specifically on youth homelessness. We have an opportunity because they are young. They haven't necessarily spent 40 years kicking around the system. They've had enough traumatic experiences by the time they turn 15, 16, to be clear. But we have an opportunity to turn that around in a very proactive way. 
and our opportunities around training and employment and social enterprise is one of those keys, one of those tools in the toolbox, if you will, around uh, the ingredients young people need, as we all would, to succeed. Well, well said, uh, as always, Sheldon. And you mentioned it's funny, like, well, we first, I think, all got into it when you look at the history of shelter many, many years ago. It was that kind of bare minimum, like good enough, where you're like, all right, we need to put a roof over this person's head and, and a sleeping bag and, you know, get, get them a, a cup of soup and we're good, right? It was just let let them survive. And I think if, if quite simply, when I look at uh, Choice for Youth, we got from survive and you're focused more now on the thrive, right? Like what are all the different things you could do to help people thrive? Uh, and your organization is it's just an incredible example of uh, when you're solution-based, what can be done. Uh, for our listeners too, uh, can you talk a little bit about, and, and you work with youth homelessness, but if you talk about, about what homelessness and then uh, youth homelessness looks like uh, in Newfoundland. Uh, sure, I'll, I'll certainly kick that off, and, and Sherry, you certainly add from your perspective. So, you know, unlike many communities in, in Canada, you know, we don't have a lot of visible homelessness, but, the, you know, even in other parts of the country, there's a unique aspect to youth homelessness that it is actually largely hidden, regardless of where you are in the country. Uh, so certainly it's a big aspect of, of what we see here. Uh, we have been tracking what's going on with young people through COVID. We've done a number of kind of surveys and studied with seven, 600 young people each time through COVID. What we feared and what in, has transpired is there's nothing about a pandemic that made their lives easier or better and has really exacerbated some pretty challenging situations that many of our young people and young families are in in any event. So what you're seeing is housing instability. You're actually starting to see much higher rates of actual, you know, uh, you know fully homeless uh, in people and young families, um, where before it was more on the instability, precariously housed, those sorts of things. Our shelters are full all the time. So that is homelessness in Newfoundland, which is beginning, unfortunately, to mirror what probably other people in the country have seen for, for a longer period of time. Uh, but the solutions are the same as they are everywhere else. Housing, 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 support, support, support. For us, support is broader than just housing support, is around employment, education, and getting into all these other life areas, again, because we're working with young people. They need all of those tools. Sherry, I don't know if you want to add from your perspective, you've, you've spent some time certainly working with a lot of you know, vulnerable, homeless young people with your team as well. Yeah, what I find like surprising about St. John's is when I started with Choices five years ago and I was doing housing support in a wrapper housing program, it was it was completely different than the way the community feels right now. There was like more, you know, options with private landlords. Like I feel like it was easy to make those connections. There was like inventory to take people to look at. And the way that things are now, it's like the rental rates are, I mean, there's like no rentals available and the prices have skyrocketed. So the barriers to get housing have gone like, so it's very interesting for me to be in like an edu education employment role and then people are coming in and they may or may not be homeless and they're still at a point where they like want to better themselves and they see that as an entry point. Like if I do this thing, then I'll have money to find housing. So it's very interesting of where people flow through here at Choices, but yeah. Exactly what Sheldon's saying, like, it's not over here, but it is starting to come over here. Like, I see more people outside than I ever did years ago. So it's just interesting to see how 
things are playing out in St. John's. Yeah, and I, and I think across the country as well, right? I mean, yeah. uh, when, when you look at the cost of housing, no matter where you go, and, and, and you both are working with youth, and I, I have to say, all right, so if you stack up all the different barriers right now, and Sherry, you were saying, first of all, there's no rentals if you could pay full market rent. If you can't pay full market rent, you know, as an adult, I'm like, all right, so you're an adult, maybe you have a credit history, maybe not. But as a, a 16-year-old or 17-year-old youth, without credit history, if, you know, it's not a terrible credit history, plus you can't pay, you know, first and last, or, or if they're asking for six months up front. So you're competing with all those different people, uh, unless you get a very sympathetic landlord, which here and there you do, but we need better than here and there. This is, these are difficult times. You know, stack that on your traditional employment programs and not take it anything away. I've run them. I'm sure you have. We're like, all right, you know, Sheldon, young Sheldon, we're going to get you into this job. It's going to pay you a minimum wage. Minimum wage. You're going to hate it. The hours are going to be terrible. In fact, we're almost setting you up for another failure. And, and it's not going to pull you out of poverty, but but you should do this, right? And that's what I love about the social enterprise work and the trades work and that kind of stuff, where, where we really fell in love with it because it's a true solution that that pulls people out of poverty, right? It's preventative in nature because if you can immediately get people well-paying jobs with meaning. Uh, they don't slide into homelessness, right? So, so this is kind of, you know, uh, what, what we're facing right now. Now, you know, the income and cost of housing is huge. Now, you are tackling that with a solution. There's a question in here, by the way. Uh, let's talk about the employability support stability pilot program. You guys, you guys have to be creative to come up with a, a, a cooler name than that. But the, let, let's talk about right now. This is a cool program. What is it? How did it come about? Uh, so I'll start off and Sherry is much more familiar with the intimate details of how the program is working. It's been going a while, like the usual announcements come after the fact. So Sherry can dive in there. I think from my perspective, you're right. Having started off early in my career running employment programs that largely don't work for the young people we're talking about. Uh, these are not young people that you know are home living in mom and dad's basement and a little nudge in the right direction. Nothing wrong with that. Those young people deserve support as well. The population we're talking about i've been clear for a long time our young people are not unemployed because they don't have a resume they're not unemployed because you know someone needs to buy them an alarm clock they're not unemployed because they don't know how to do an interview nothing to do with any of those things they're unemployed and struggling for the same barriers issues trauma challenges that they're struggling with their housing the same reasons they're struggling with their mental health Let's get real about what's in front of these young people and the approach we need to take. We all know employment and training is a key part of, you know, anyone's, you know, lifestyle. If you want to really, you know, succeed and thrive and all those things, so young people need all of those things. So uh, from our perspective, we know what programs that don't work for young people look like. So the inter interesting intersection here now, and I'll turn it over to share in terms of like this particular pilot attaching it to purpose-built social enterprises. I know you know what I'm talking about here, Michael, with Blue Door around you know the direction you guys have gone into social enterprise. It's an amazing tool. These are purpose-built businesses with support models baked into them to deal with all the barriers and challenges. So if we have a young person who becomes homeless overnight, guess what? They're probably not that motivated to be at work the next day, but if I can get them rehoused, first thing I wanna do is go back to work. Let's be real about what the challenges are for young people and come up with the solutions that truly address that, in this case, from an employment and training perspective. 
So uh, how did it come about? Years of advocacy. I'm not going to claim, you know, uh, to be, you know, so wise as to, you know, be the sole advocator for all of this stuff. Years, hundreds of people advocating inside uh, government systems as well, knowing that existing government policies often, and the minister said this during the announcement, and I know him well, and he's a great minister, um, is that we know that the policies and rankings of support act as a disincentive for people going to work, becoming stable, and coming off the income support, income support system. So the trick is, well, how do we come up with a pilot attached to social enterprises that actually begins to undo some of those barriers? Because young people, I've been doing this for 30 plus years, thousands of young people have never met a young person who didn't want a better life. So how do we remove the ironic policies that are getting in the way of that? So that's the how, that's the why, and the, hit, the years of, of advocating to make that happen. So Sherry can provide more details on how we've actually uh, put that pilot together. And maybe if Sherry, if you don't mind, a few things around some of the early successes that you guys are seeing. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Cool. So exactly what Sheldon said, I'm super <laughs> thankful that the government is looking at this and being like, okay, we know that the income support system is a barrier to employment and starting to look at the policies that, I mean, yes, young people, but all people on income support have to interact with when they go to work. So what they're doing is testing new and enhanced initiatives intended to help people receiving income support to attach to the workforce and promote self-reliance. So when I'm talking about self-reliance, I mean, the income support system had really good intentions with some of their policies to like pay folks rent directly and their power bills directly. But now we have, you know, people who rely on that system to get their needs met and it makes it even more difficult to transition off of it. So a big piece is, you know, working with people, helping them gain those skills so that as they gain employment income, they can maintain their own money and pay their bills themselves. Um, right now at Choices, I'll go through um, I'll just do a run through of some of the incentives so you know kind of what folks can receive. Um, so there's an increased job start allowance, $250 up to two times per year. So that's, you know, anything that you need to start your job, whether that's a uniform, you need, you know, extra food to pack your lunches, but that's just extra money that goes to the person when they start work as a reward for starting work. Um, there's an increased benefit period overlap. So for the first 60 days that someone's working, they get all their income support and all their employment income to um, provide income stability during that transition. So they get an opportunity to dive into work, become stable in their work. And sometimes with young people, I mean, they try a job and it doesn't work out within the first couple of weeks. So they do have that period of time where their benefits aren't going to be 
impact it. So they have the opportunity to go try work. And if it doesn't work out, then the system is going to be there like it always is giving you your benefits. Um, there's employment continuation bonuses. So if someone worked for six months, they get $250. If they work for a year, they get $500. And if they work for two years, they get $1,000. I just had our first participant get their one-year bonus. And that was like a huge victory to me because like to get 500 bucks is like, woohoo, they were super pumped. So I love to see that that was an incentive for them. And they could verbalize that. I want to stay at work because I want that money. Um, there's enhanced earning exemptions, which allows people to retain more income support benefits. So they're actually working with a new step formula that allows people to keep more money as they work increased hours as an incentive to work more hours. Um, those are just some of the things, but there's a lot of support built into this pilot. So income support is working with Choices for Youth and Stella Circle, so they know that nonprofits have connections with people. I mean, Choices for Youth has four social enterprises. So we have folks flowing through us on income support that we can offer these things to and these supports. And then me give them financial counseling. And they still get an employment support worker to do, you know, their education employment goal setting with them. So it's very layered support where, you know, hopefully they're getting what they need from us to succeed as they flow through social enterprise. But um, out of the 38 pilot participants that we have at Choices for Youth, 37 have been employed during some point during the pilot. Um, currently, 24 are employed, three are in post-secondary, and one is doing adult basic education. So 74% are currently working or have transitioned to do some type of educational goal instead. And I'm going to count that in my <laughs> my statistics because I'm like, that's a positive outcome. So I think that's excellent that 74% of people are doing employment and education. Um, the main comments that I get from participants is that the pilot like eases some of their fears around coming off income support. Because I always hear people say they're terrified, they're anxious, you know, they don't know what they're going to happen. But giving them the information they need to make informed decisions of whether or not they're ready to take that leap and go to work, it really eases their anxiety and gives them the opportunity to try. Another part of the pilot, but this is my favorite. I love that it gives people the opportunity to get more money in their pockets because let's be real, we need opportunities to get people out of poverty. But there's also simplified re-entry. So normally when you're on income support and you go to work and if you're ineligible two months in a row, you know, you're off income support, you no longer are attached to that system. But with the pilot project, even past the point of you detaching, if something happens to your job, you only have to fill out like a one page form versus like the 16 page application that's like daunting to people when you like throw it in front of them. So it's much easier to get reattached if something happens to your job. So I think that safety net is so important for people to know that, okay, they're going to support me to try to go to work. And if it doesn't work out, it's going to be okay because I'll still have my income support because the narrative is always 
well, what if I go to work and it doesn't work out? And then I have nothing. I have no income. I have no income support. You're going to be in a worse situation than when you um, than when you began. So I think it's really excellent. You know, pilot participants have very positive comments on it so far. So it's very exciting. It's still the beginning, but you know, I'm very happy to be involved with it. And I'm sure that after the three years, these things will open up to all English recipients. I'm very hopeful for that. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Some great points there. So for listeners, if you understand, and Sheldon and Sherry, correct me if I'm wrong. So we're talking about social assistance here. So youth going social assistance, it is not a lot. Let, let's be clear there. I'll tell you, in Ontario, um, a single male receives about $700 a month. That that is actually lower than it was in 1995 because in 1995 there's a 21% cut to that is never recovered, right? Um, so, so to say that when people and listen, I have a, I have a, a grown sister. She's now 52, who uh, has been on Ontario uh, ODSP, which is disability for many years. She's terrified always about finding work because what if I lose that? What if I, I come off that? What if this doesn't work? What if I can't work? I don't know if I can't, right? So, so she doesn't. With this program, when you're telling me, for, for those youth, it's, hey, let's take away that fear. Let's give you the opportunity. Maybe it will stick. Maybe it won't. But if it doesn't, you've got a bit of a safety net. We're going to help you. And we're going to put all these incentives in place to keep you moving forward. I think it's it's just brilliant. Now, what we do in the social sector, social services sector is to convince government most times that to give us some funding, we say, just, just let us pilot it. Because what pilot means is, hey, if we succeed, you're going to look awesome. If we fail, it was just a pilot. Right, like nothing lost, nothing. You know, um, so so it, it is really brilliant. Uh, supposed now, I read a little bit. You've had uh, eighty six people go through, and that ten have actually come off income supports. Is that that correct? So, can you talk a little bit about your successes? Uh, between choices for youth I, and self service, that's right. Sorry, you go ahead, Sheldon. <laughs> No, there's a delay on my end. You go ahead. You go ahead. I'm trying to see now how many people are currently off in income support. I think it's more than 10 between both. I have to go through my list. But yeah, it's definitely showing that like early, uh, early on that folks are having more money in their pockets. It's costing income support less. And people are successfully transitioning off of income support. So, so, so wait a second. What what you're telling me here? So we have people coming off the system, working, and it actually prevention actually saves money. Is that is that what I, I'm hearing? I I know it's crazy. <laughs> I who knew? It's a it's a true win win. Well, I mean, I, very and, and and you know, Sheldon and, and sure you know this when you're talking to government, they say they have this wonderful program. Uh, but when you talk about financial sense, not only is it saving and changing lives, it's, it's saving the money. Prevention is the way to go. And this program is proving that uh, one individual at a time with over, it looks like around 50% of the participants actually coming off income support. That's, uh, that is crazy and, and, and crazy success. What have the challenges been along the way? Every new program, you know, as you go along, there's some challenges, challenges getting there. What have some of the challenges been? And, and what do you hope for in the future? Like, what are some tweaks you hope to make uh, moving forward? I'll, I'll jump in in terms of, oh, sorry. I'll jump in in terms of one piece 
it was advocacy. Like one of the questions, like why did this take so long? I mean, I think people in government knew this was the right thing to do. I think people in community definitely were asking for a long, like, let's be clear, big systems, government systems, they take a long time to change, right? And the you know, number of people you have to convince and have conversations and they want evidence while well, we've got to do the work before you have the evidence. There's, there is a component here around data and evaluation uh, that there's money, you know, because often we're asked for evidence, but well, no one wants to give money for the data and evaluation work. So that's baked into this process as well. We started there. That'll be a big part of it. The minister's really clear. Like they want to take the pilot sticker off of this uh, as soon as we can. So that's a really good message. That's just based on what we've seen so far. I suspect that'll get even better. Um, so that's where the advocacy piece comes in. That's where really my role is. But Sherry, like like any program, like there's stuff that we're seeing now that, oh, wow, what if we did this a little differently? I think that's part of the evaluation process as well. So sorry to interrupt you, Sherry, over to you. No, and that's what I was going to say too, kind of about the evaluation, because working in the social sector, like we're used to working in the gray and we always try to make decisions based on people's best interests. But when you're working with policy, even though this is enhanced and it's better than what it was and people can identify that it's better than what it was, it's still not perfect. So you're still bound by the policy. So not every person in the pilot is getting all the things because the policy isn't as flexible as I would like it to be. So I'm hoping that that will come out in the evaluation and they'll be able to ask participants, you know, what do you, what else do you need to stay at work? You know, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the people who have to interact with the system say. So, you know, a few things have come up about the income support policy, but mostly it's not with the things that they changed for the pilot. Like the, there's positives on that. It's, you know, the other policy that people have to interact with and to them it's one system so it's like it's not the pilot failing it's like other things going on in the system that makes it challenging for people to go to work so hopefully you know this is a good starting point and it can get a bit broader but hopefully the evaluation can bring some of that out uh, well said uh, both of you of course every program that we do we should evaluate um to, to find out what are the things that are working what's not what can we do moving forward to make this better? And, and I'd expect no less of uh, choices and, and the partners always do uh, high, high end work. Uh, so what is next for the program? What, what, what are your hopes? What's next? Could it be scaled? Is there something that you could say, hey, you know, um, someone in Vancouver, someone in New York region perhaps, or, or others could, you know, give it a try. Uh, are you hoping for that? Or is that kind of down the line? Uh, what's next for you guys? You want me to take this one? Thank you being so uh, I just want to recruit more people. I want to get more people through the pilot. I want more data for them to look at. I want as many people, you know, to get these incentives so that we can actually have good data at the end of it to, you know, hopefully then people like you can take it and be like, look, like we can, we can do this too. So that's what my hope is, is just to get more people recruited for the pilot, you know, get, it more available to folks in the community and then at the end of the three years have it available to every person who's on sport if i can jump in there's 
as well, Michael. Yeah. We already know community agencies across the country talk to each other. Uh, and you and I have been talking to each other for like 20 years at this point. <laughs> um, we also know governments talk to each other. We also know governments talk to each other, right? There's a lot to be celebrated, a lot to be shared. I think there are some of these things happening, you know, maybe Scotia, I can't remember now. So it's, I think there is evidence that, you know, provincial governments across the country are exploring as well. Uh, uh, so if we get governments talking to each other, community groups talking to each other, I think we can land in very good spots uh, across the country on this piece. And very, very little of what Choices has done over the last years is because we sat in Newfoundland and figured it out all by ourselves. We've always relied on the good uh, kindnesses across the country. And we're happy to pay that forward, if you will, in terms of you know the things that we're along the way. Well, you know, I, one of the things I, I love about um, your work in, in St. John's and in Newfoundland is the fact that I think quite often people always think some of these big things happen in big metropolis of, say, Toronto, and it has, you know, but but when you're a little smaller and, and, you know, your executive director, for instance, might play soccer with the minister of whatever or, you know, hey, like it's, you can actually have some real conversations around you know what the needs are and, and you can and it, you're a little more mobile is what i think and it's a little similar in york region i mean in toronto where you've got 100 agencies doing similar work york region, we got six like so we, we all have our piece so we we, we are working together because we need to right and, and so i i think you're in such a prime position as you have been over the years hey let me let us we're going to get this off the ground a lot quicker than you are and plus you also have sheldon and your team that are you know very very bright and uh, innovative that get it done right that work the motions and, and have earned that kind of respect uh, from government but you guys continue to do innovative cool work your social enterprise this program i mean how many different programs have we talked about over the years you're one of the first to really jump on the prevention uh wagon right to say dudes we're not going to end this if we actually don't stop new people from entering this it's pretty simple stuff and, and as sheldon said we borrowed that from australia right like hey, it works here too um so so congratulations on continuing to do uh incredible work now i have to ask you before we we sign off are you guys doing coldest night again this year we are indeed we are in the club looking forward to it well i'm wrapping my my hurry hoodie here uh, today. Now, I don't know if this is going to air before. It's February 25th for listeners that are there. Um, this is for, for us, this is the first time in the last few years that we've been able to, we're going to do it in person, which is a lot more fun than, than doing a, a virtual walk. Now, let's be clear, yeah. you know, it wasn't lazy like virtual, like we're sitting and talking now um, and asking for money. We'd actually do the walk on our own. But uh, you guys are doing an in person event? Are in person. We are indeed. It's, it's so exciting. Young people out it's a community event we do all kinds of events that's one that's pretty special because it's really kids dogs you know families like it's really nice yeah to see. it's a really it's a really accessible yeah. event yeah it's a successful event like really anyone could take part it's not um and you yeah. get a taste where it brings community together and so so listeners february 25th across the country from st john's newfoundland choices uh if you go to the coldest night website you want to sign up for choices for youth as a walker as a team captain go out support them you've heard today they're doing life-changing work and they're taking that dollar and making it into five dollars right this is an investment not a donation so check them out hey and if you're in york region the gta area there's lots of different 
groups to choose from. Uh, Blue Door, we're in Richmond Hill. If you look on the site, you can go there and sign up, be a walker, be a captain, uh, sponsor someone if you don't want to walk for, for any reason. Uh, but all across the country, there's different groups there. You know, And I challenge you to be part of the solution. Sherry and Sheldon, thank you for all you do. Uh, it's inspiring. This podcast has been inspiring. Uh, and you are true change makers. And it's so appreciated. Awesome, man. And Sherry, your energy, man, like, man, it's awesome. Like, you're just, you're pumped. I need to get more people in there. I love it. I love it. And, and that is inspiring to an old man like me to say, hey, this next generation, they're going to do a lot better than than Sheldon and I did. Uh, not that Sheldon is, like, anywhere near as old as me, but, but your generation is, is, you know, you give us a lot of hope. So thank uh, you for your energy and your passion for this project. It's super cool. Both of you be safe, uh, be well, and can't wait to have you back again. Thanks, Michael. Michael. I, I tell you, I, I love what's happening on the East coast. Uh, every now and then I get um, the Google news bulletins of this is what's happening. I'm like, wow, they're doing something very, very cool. And that whole income supports piece, 15% of people living in Ontario are receive social assistance, right? Either Ontario works or uh, disability. And for them, it's a disincentive sometimes when they're looking at a job that may not, they actually might get penalized and make less money going to work. So programs like this incentivize people to go to work. To, they, they don't want to be on the system, but they're scared to lose that income support and lose their housing or lose what they might have, as little as it might be. Programs like this, take that fear away, give them hope, push them forward. It's going to be incredible. I can't wait to see the scale across the country. Uh, inspiring, as always, and I'm sure it will be next time, too, when we see you on the way home. Take care. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.